Hello, everybody. I wanted to jump in quickly and let you all know that today is a different and very special day. We have a very, very special guest post from Mrs. Sharpened Iron. She is going to be sharing the first part of her story of why she became Catholic. We entered the church at the same time, Easter 2021, and I think this is going to be very interesting to many of you. Thanks again for listening. Cue the intro music. Hello, and welcome to the Sharpened Iron Podcast. I am happy to have you here. I started the Sharpened Iron blog in 2016 in order to build an online community that discussed the most important issues in life, religion, politics, and culture. In broadcasting my blog now, I hope to engage with friends old and new in pursuit of truth. If you like this episode or have any feedback, please leave a review on your favorite podcast player. Leave a comment on sharpenediron.org or email me directly at contact at sharpenediron.org. Let's jump in. a global pandemic roared, and my dad's fading due to early Alzheimer's prompted another move for a growing family. My husband came to me and said, when we move, I need to go to the Catholic Church. I probably should have read the signs and known that this was coming. I had told family and friends that he was curious about Catholicism, and he probably needed to get it out of his system but I didn't really understand. I did, however, have a firm belief in not dividing a family when it came to church attendance. I grew up with friends whose families split to attend different churches. Some parents followed the desires of their kids. Others fundamentally disagreed with their spouse about the best church. And still others chose based on music, schedules, or friendships. My parents, in contrast, were wholly committed to one church. They still attend it regularly along with two of my siblings and their families. I think that their commitment taught me almost as much as watching other families that divided. The families that divided over church preferences also seemed to divide in other ways. Spouses often became alienated from each other, or children walked away from the church altogether. I'm not saying that difficulty and disagreement never happened in my family, but we do have a cohesiveness in faith that I attribute in large part due to my parents' unity, faithfulness, and commitment to one church. As for Mike and me, I never dreamed we would be one of those divided families. If I could help it, I would brave this storm of Catholicism until I could prove what I had been subtly taught my whole life. The Catholic Church teaches heresy. In writing this, I decided to Google heresy. Here is the definition. An opinion or a doctrine at variance with established religious beliefs. That was me. I planned to dissent when Catholic dogma proved to be against our established, biblically founded faith. 
With that firmly resolved, I told Mike, I won't have our family go to two different churches. I won't split our family, so I'll look into it with you. Mike was shocked and started encouraging my own search into Catholicism, about which I will write more in a later post. Mike was not the only one surprised by this plan of mine. Family, friends, vague acquaintances, basically everyone in our life was surprised. In the circles that we ran in, everyone asked, where will you go to church when you move? Or, do you have a plan for settling into a good church home? They all knew our faith was important to us, and they wanted to hear that we were setting ourselves up for success. Unlike other moves where I would outline our process for each person that asked, I found myself giving the unexpected answer that we would explore the Catholic Church. Then I found myself defending my choice to follow Mike where he led our family. I guess at this point I need to give more background information. First, I believe that wives should submit to their husbands. I believe in cold, hard submission. I believe that the best chance we have at a healthy and good marriage is to follow what the Bible calls us to do, and the Bible calls wives to submit. I believe that the husband should, and in my case does, carry the burden of leadership for our family with integrity and zeal. But today's post is about what is expected of me in my role as wife and as mother. In the evangelical world, scripture is the only authority over faith and morals, and this is what it says to women. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Ephesians 5.22 Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Colossians 3.18 For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. 1 Peter 3.5 These are three clear statements about how I was to proceed as a wife in conflict with my husband. Feel free to argue about the definition of submit, but 1 Peter gives Sarah as one example of the holy women who submitted to her husband. She followed Abraham's lie and was almost given to another man in marriage. She submitted to her husband's faithless plan, and God rescued her. My husband wanted to become Catholic, and I would follow him as long as I could. If there were Catholic Christians, that is what I would become. If I couldn't do that, I would trust God to rescue us. I would love to be considered a holy woman, so if following my husband into Catholicism would get me included in that list, I was in. Submission has worked in much smaller ways throughout our relationship. Our life together has always been an open discussion. But when we disagreed, I would push Mike to choose and remind him that I trust him to follow God's prompting as he leads us. The first big struggle of submission in marriage for me was budgeting. At the beginning of our marriage, 
we did not have a lot of money, and I had no experience with formal budgeting. Mike was a fount of wisdom. I will not say it was easy to follow him. Those who knew me then knew it was a constant struggle to learn his way of doing things. But over the years, we came to a functional and responsible system. Each year, Mike proposes a big-picture annual plan, and he and I hammer out the details of how that will look on a monthly basis. Through this process of discussion, compromise, and submission, we developed a system in which Mike, for the most part, would set the budgets, and I would make the daily decisions to ensure we stayed within them. Over the years, submitting my daily decisions to my husband's big picture plan has helped us achieve goals and a significant amount of peace around finances. Later, when Mike was applying and interviewing for PA schools, he felt strongly that we should take this time of school to go on an adventure. He wanted to go somewhere new and exciting to spend a few years establishing ourselves as a married couple. I felt quite sad about moving away from family and friends, but because of the many discussions we had, I believed that submission of my desires to his would be best. The first year after we moved to Arizona was very difficult, but in persevering through that difficulty, we found greater unity as husband and wife than we had had before. I can still see the benefits of this particular submission even now after our latest move back home. As a final example of our early years of marriage, we had agreed not to try having children for our first few years together. Our plan was to go to PA school, and then after that very busy couple of years, we might try. We both felt this best for our marriage and my health, but not knowing whether I could conceive a child due to my diabetes, deferring a chance at having kids was a very difficult decision for me. Throughout the process, I spent more time praying about it than perhaps any other decision we have ever made. In order to have some companionship during the process of applying for and attending PA school, I repeatedly bothered Mike about wanting a dog. We spent many nights discussing it, and although he didn't really love the idea, he ultimately agreed to adopt an insane puppy that we still have today. Not only this, but Mike became convinced early in PA school that we should start trying to have kids. And our first son was born in 2015, one to two years earlier than we had originally planned prior to leaving for this PA program. I could probably point out a dozen more areas of submission throughout the first years of our life together and in the time since, and the benefits of working with and following my husband where he leads have been immense. For the opposite type of example, please see the story of Adam and Eve. Eve eats the forbidden fruit. Then she gives some to Adam. They hide from God, ashamed and aware of their nakedness. God searches for them and calls to Adam. Why? Because God created Adam first. God told Adam not to eat of that one tree. 
Adam's job was to serve and protect the garden. And he gave up that role to follow the woman's plan. Her pushing of boundaries and working against Adam ended in disaster, not just for them, but for all born after them. Each time, Mike and I disagreed about a decision, and I chose to follow Mike's lead, I would hear a different version of the same comments. But what about what you want? That doesn't seem right. What if you need more money for groceries? Shouldn't you get a say in where you live? But you want kids. Why should that have to come second to PA school? All of these comments come down to the same thing. You should get to decide for yourself. Again, we discuss everything all the time, and we still do a lot of talking. My mom said our dating relationship was like the world's longest interview. We always discussed budget plans, moving, and a lot of other things at length before a final decision was made. But by God's grace, I have allowed Mike to have the final say. I do this because I believe he carries the most responsibility for our family. I believe that when God wants to move a family, he often tells the man of the house first. Mike is a great leader for our family, and he takes that responsibility with the weight that it demands. Back to 2020. If our friends and acquaintances did not like my attitude toward our joint budgeting or family planning, they certainly did not like my response when they asked where we would be going to church after moving. The routine, do you know what church you'll go to, questions led to an outpouring of commentary when I responded with, Mike wants to look into becoming Catholic. Unfortunately, out of dozens of Bible-believing men and women who asked me, only one or two stopped arguing with me after I had made a case for submission. They still may have quietly disagreed. The others went so far as to state, that is not the type of submission that God is calling wives to. I would again call to mind the story of Sarah's submission to Abraham. I knew I was right to follow Mike. Deep within my soul, I knew it was right. And it bugged me that all these women who should support prayer-covered submission in difficult circumstances would not stand with me and encourage me. Instead, they argued with me and contradicted the one infallible authority we Reformed evangelicals recognized, the Bible. One of the foundations of Protestant theology is that Scripture is clear and easy to understand. Spousal submission is commanded at least three times in the New Testament alone. And the curse of the woman fighting to be in charge of her husband is laid out clearly in Genesis 3, when sin comes through the woman taking the decision-making lead. Based on scriptures, how can I justify resisting my husband as he leads our family spiritually? I believe this is the kind of submission that we are called to. If we choose to follow God's commands, 
We cannot pick and choose which we agree with and which we do not. A wife choosing to fight for decision-making power over and against her husband is a losing battle. He loses, she loses, and then their children lose. God sets a husband in authority over the family. 1 Timothy 2, 11-15 states, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. The scripture seems pretty clear. If I, as the wife, constantly argue, dissent, and fight to make all the decisions— He can either choose to submit to me, like Adam did in the garden, which didn't end well, or he can choose to pit himself against me. If he pits himself against me, his path forward is to pray for the best and possibly divide the family. As women, we have a choice too. We can fight for our own way, or we can pray and submit to our husbands as 1 Timothy commands, continuing in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Was I excited to embark on this new adventure? No, I was not. This was the most difficult and lonely time I have ever had to choose to submit. And I was beyond grateful that I had a friend in Jesus. Recently, I read Matthew 27 to our kids during our morning Bible study. In this chapter, Jesus is questioned by Pilate prior to being crucified. He gives no answer in his own defense. After that, he is beaten and given over to be nailed to the cross. Then, this happens during his time on the cross. And those who passed by him derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe him. Matthew twenty-seven thirty-nine. With some trepidation, I asked my five-year-old about this scene. Me. Did Jesus sin? Five-year-old. No. Me. Did Jesus have to stay on that cross? Five-year-old. No. Me. What could he have done? Five-year-old. Saved himself or asked God to find another way and save him like he did when he was praying. 
me. So why did he stay? Five-year-old. Because he loves us, Mom. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He stayed in submission to the will of the Father for this type of love. And in that, I held on to hope. Christ knew, experienced, and lived submission, even to death by crucifixion. I had Mike to lead our family, and I had Christ, who understands what it means to choose submission when all others are rebuking you for it. I trusted that no matter where Mike may lead us, Jesus would care for me like he did for Sarah. This concludes this episode of the Sharpened Iron Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast player to receive an update whenever a new episode is released. To receive updates about Sharpened Iron, subscribe to the blog by email at www.sharpenediron.org. If you have any questions, have recommendations for future discussion topics, or want to discuss anything further, please contact me at contact at sharpenediron.org. Thank you, and may God bless you as you seek the truth.